Okay, I do believe. <coughs> you have everything you need, I do believe. Um, <coughs> Time flies when you're having fun, you guys. It does. Fly a mile a minute here. You will notice that on the screen it says Lecture 6, Two Dark Valleys, Part 2. I, way back weeks ago, had the ingenious thought of dealing with the two dark valleys in one lesson. <laughs> you guys can feel free to laugh out loud at me often if you'd like to. But we didn't quite do that last week, but I want to ask you a question or two. We're going to re-enter this now. What was the first dark valley? You tell me. Valley of humiliation. How would we describe the valley of humiliation? Humiliation. Where was the valley? What, what, what did he find? What did Christian find in the valley of humiliation? Yeah, Apollyon or Apollyon found him. What do you remember about the 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 conflict with Apollyon? What do you remember about Apollyon? It was quite a fight. It was quite a fight, yeah. I think that was the episode if you do it online that uh, part ten of there's a oh, okay. serial of the Revelation Media does of the continuing series, yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> Of course, it has its own spin on it. All right, maybe I want somebody else to answer now. I don't think anybody else knows anything in here unless you give them a break. Donna? I love the fact that he didn't argue with Apollyon, but Apollyon threw all these accusations and everything at him. He didn't argue. He just, and you shortened it to just saying guilty as charged, you know? Um, but, and I love all the but gods. And here he says, but the prince I serve is merciful and ready to forgive. What a powerful message. Um, there, when I find myself beating myself up or others beating me up, that I can, I don't have to argue with them. I have someone who argues on my behalf. And, and so I just, that is the most beautiful picture to me. That even when it looked hopeless or whatever, that God always provided exactly what he needed when he needed it. Okay. The first part of the conflict with Apollyon was the verbal part. Yeah. The verbal part. And that was serious. You know, that might that might seem to be, um, you know, just verbal stuff. Yeah, I mean basically it was a conversation between a master and his former subject. Mm, yeah, where, yeah, right. Where he right. made the claim that he was one of his subjects, and mm -hmm. Christian didn't disagree right. with that, but pointing out that he now has a new master, and that right. part of the humiliation for him was that he was not able to defeat his old master on his own. He needed God's help at the end when he was about to be vanquished, that, that he couldn't stand on his own. Right, right. So, so what was the key to... Uh, Christian's victory uh, in the conflict with Apollyon. What was the key? Scripture. The what now? The scripture. The scripture or the sword. The sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Remember, Christian had just gotten the armor. Uh, it was about the last thing that happened in the palace. Beautiful. Well, 
Uh, he had been told, yes. What I find intriguing, um, but it's a little bit tricky for me to make sense out of that because it doesn't talk about that in the Ephesians, but the armor that he got, it didn't have any back armor. <clears throat> well, you know what? Last Last week, I made mention of that, and I could be wrong on this, but I disagree with Bunyan on that. I disagree because I think when we studied the armor of those days, the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate was two pieces that were buckled at the side so that the back was protected. However, Bunyan makes the point, uh, his understanding is that there was no back piece, so he couldn't turn his back. Yeah, I, I disagree with Bunyan on that one. Actually, he's the, probably laughing somewhere right the now. Romans, <laughs> the Romans didn't have back to their armor. They did that purposely, <clears throat> was that they didn't want their troops to run. It was always press forward. And your shield was big enough that if you died going forward, it carried you back because there was no going okay. back. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of disagree on that point, although Bunyan's very yeah. happy. That's that's the point. That's the yeah. point that he is making. Right, right. But I think we better press on here yeah. uh, from our review. Um, Christian had been told it's hard for a man to go down into the valley of humiliation, and it indeed was. It indeed was. But after his wounds were healed, and what must have been a very brief refreshment. Christian entered into the valley of the shadow of death. This is the second dark valley, and it's not going to be easy. So, I want you to look at your sheet today, your sheet for our notes today. Uh, I'm tempted to uh, make a remark right now about a big bag that I found up here. I will, if I remember, I'll say something about it at the end of class. If not, then I won't. <laughs> All right, so let's look at our notes right here. You guys, can you look at the two pages and see that there is not a single word to write in here? So stick with me. Do not fall asleep, right? Do not wander. Don't get on your cell phones. Don't text people like I'm talking to students. Right? Here we go. The book of Psalms is a collection of poems that covers the whole spectrum of human emotions. There are gladsome songs that are pure praise, like Psalm 100. But there are also songs of lamentation and repentance, like Psalm 51. Some of them are prayers associated with a variety of human needs, like Psalms 17, 89, 86, and 90. One of the most well-known of all the psalms is the shepherd psalm, Psalm 23 in which we read the familiar words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the rest of it say? I will fear no evil for thou art with me. The good shepherd leads his sheep through some places that are difficult. Dark valleys, depressing valleys, valleys where death seems to be close at hand. I have my Bible open on the movable pulpit here, podium, and I kind of opened it so that I have Psalm 23, and I think I'm going to flip that page over again. But I also have two other Psalms that we're going to see here. And here they come. 23 we just looked at. 
88 and 69, and I don't have time to spend as much, give as much attention to these as I would like to, but these are very important psalms. Our next paragraph here says, Psalm 88, Psalm 88, is the blackest of all the psalms. The Reformation Study Bible puts it this way. Of all the laments in the Psalter, this psalm most vividly expresses the distress of the psalmist. The writer's distress can be heard from beginning to end because his pain had lasted from his youth until the present. And then at the very end, I have the little sentence. It is a dark psalm to read. Do you have your Bible open to Psalm 88? Let's look briefly at this psalm. The psalm superscription says, A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the choir master, according to Mahalath, Lanoth, a mosque of Heman the Ezraite. All that introduction. Verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your land, uh, from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Kind of appropriate that the last word in reading this psalm is darkness. It is a dark psalm to read. But flip back a couple pages to Psalm 69. 
69 is a little bit longer, and I'm not going to take time to read the whole psalm here, but notice what we have on our note page. Psalm 69 is another dreary psalm. It is a psalm that has that was authored by David, but in it we can trace the footprints of the Messiah's anguish as attested by the quotes of verses 4, 9, and 21. Let's, for example, look at verse 4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. Uh, verse 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me. Those words sound familiar? Definitely, definitely. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Down to verse 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. If, if you have any familiarity with Scripture, you cannot help to be drawn in your mind to some of the things that were associated with our Lord. Let's continue in the notes here. Um, our Savior indeed walked through a valley darker than any we will ever pass through. Spurgeon, in his Treasury of David, said of this psalm, that's Psalm 69, We commence our exposition of this psalm with much trembling, for we feel that we are entering with our great high priest into the most holy place. It is important to note that in both of those dark psalms, the psalmist appeals to God in prayer for help. In Psalm 69, verses 13 through 17, and let me read these verses. I'm in Psalm 69, 13 through 17. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Wow. Before the deep darkness, deep blackness of Psalm 88 sets in, the psalmist's opening words are, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. My concluding sentence here, when we go through our dark passages, have any of you ever gone through dark passages? You all have. You all have. I know that. When we go through our dark passages, the valleys where the shadow of death hangs over us, be assured that the Good Shepherd is with us to protect us, to guide us, and to comfort us. That is His promise. Well, so, meanwhile, back in the valley of the shadow of death. 
these are the things in just a quick bullet point list here that we see in the you know in dealing with the valley of the shadow of death all the way down to where we would finish this section which we're not quite going to finish today through the valley of the shadow of death using the weapon of all prayer seeing the cave of two giants named pope and pagan catching up to faithful faithful relates his own journey and there's quite a bit of space here and here temptations from wanton Adam the first and others. Then an encounter with talkative and the unexpected return of evangelists. My proposal today is, we'll see how we do on this, is that we're going to save these two things as an introduction before we get to the Vanity Fair, but we are going to look at the other things. Just before I leave this, if you can see the screen from where you are. John, can you see this okay? This, this is just part of a picture that is going to appear in the next slide and that picture will show the whole form of the figure in armor here but if you look at this and what the artist tried to depict in this of all kinds of hideous fantastic scary beasts that are there you, you can see it looks like a crocodile there you can see the faces uh, the faces everywhere of some horrid things that were haunting Christian on his way through here. Now, we looked last time at this is the second slide that I had prepared for Christian going through the valley of the shadow of death. The pathway through it was exceedingly narrow, with a deep ditch on the right side and a dangerous quagmire on the left. There was no room for mistakes, either side. And when you read the book, if you have one with the scripture verses in the margins, which is a very, very helpful thing, you'll notice what he associates, what Bunyan associates with the, left, the perils on the left side and the right side. In the midst, and this is where we are under point number one for today, first bullet, in the midst of these horrible conditions, Christian sheathes his sword and took up the weapon of all prayer. And he cried out the words, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. I, this to me, you know, do, do I have favorite parts of Pilgrim's Progress? I do. Probably a whole, a whole big handful of them. My hand's not big enough to hold them all. But this is certainly one of them. When Christian came through the conflict with Apollyon in the Valley of Humiliation, when his wounds were healed and he was refreshed a little bit and he continued on his way, he did it with his sword drawn in his hand because the sword had put Apollyon to flight. When God intervened, the Christian should not die there. Going through this dark valley, Christian found out that the sword, the physical weapon of the sword, the physical weapon was not going to help him here, but rather the weapon of and how ingenious it is of Bunyan when he is naming the pieces of armor in the palace beautiful that Christian would receive. He includes the piece called all prayer, a piece of the armor called all prayer. 
I don't know how you illustrate that in, in you know, the pictures of the armor and everything. The Christian fell back on this piece of armor. This armor is called the panoply of God. Are you familiar with that word at all? Panoply? Panoply is just a virtually transliteration of the Greek word that literally means the whole armor, all the pieces of the armor that are needed. God hasn't God has not given us a deficient set of armor. So Christian calls out, O oh Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Uh, yes, yeah, Susan? Could you spell it? You both want to know. So which one? Panoply? P-A-N, from the Greek adjective, pas, pas upon, which means all or every. P-A-N-O-P-L-Y. And that last part has to do with armor. I can't remember the name of the hymn now uh, that makes use of that. We have, I would bet, every one of us in this room sung the hymn at some time in the past that uses that expression, panoply. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of the tune, but not the twice. What was the tune? Hum the tune. All right, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> Let's go on now. L- listen. Listen to me carefully on this point now. Christian utilizes this piece of armor called all prayer. I beseech thee, O Lord, deliver my soul. Was that the end of it? All of a sudden, was he out? The next two steps takes him out from this? No. 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 And there's that whole figure. One of the wicked, writes Bunyan, came to him and whisperingly suggested many grievous blasphemies which he thought had proceeded from his own mind. Just think about that for a minute. Is is that scary? Very scary. Apparently Bunyan experienced this quite, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Listen. In this wonderful story that Bunyan is telling, we talked a few weeks ago now about the slough of despond. That was not an easy place, and he had a real struggle there, didn't he? Real struggle. He wasn't going to get out until help came along. At this particular point, this is a very big struggle. I mean, the struggle with Apollyon was significant and real and protracted and and all that, and almost deadly. And then, into the adjoining valley, this is a difficult place. But you know, when he does come out of here, you know what? A few weeks down the road, he's going to end up in a castle and in a cage in that castle. Whose castle is it? Giant Despair. Doubting Castle. Yeah, you know, we we don't come to just one aspect of it and say it's all over now. This was this was a very 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 dark temptation. It was. Uh, at last he heard. This is the very bottom of the page. At last he heard a voice of someone ahead of him saying. Though I walk through 
the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear none ill, for thou art with me. At this he, that is Christian, was glad, concluding that one who feared God was also there. He wasn't absolutely alone. So, the next slide here. It's a very interesting thing now. As daylight broke, first bullet at the top of the page, he saw the horrors that were behind him, but also saw that the way ahead was even more dangerous. At the end of the valley, he saw amidst blood and bones and bodies a cave with two giants named Pope, which represents Roman Catholicism, and the other giant was named Pagan, which represents Islam. Multitudes had been slain by both of them. And as Bunyan is writing this, remember, this is in the latter part of the 1600s. Both of those, Pope and Pagan, were past their prime. Would you say they're past their prime now? Uh, no, no. No, no. No, no. Not at all. But, I, I, I mean, the ground strewed with bones and blood and bodies. Have there been martyrs to the Roman Catholic Church? Have there been martyrs to Islam? That will live by the sword, that will conquer by the sword. How insightful, how insightful this is. Now, <clears throat> number two, a parade of new characters. That's who I chose to, to list this one. A parade of new characters. And the first individual is a man named Faithful. And look at the first thing that I've talked about here. And hopefully, yeah, we have the picture come on. As Christian came to a little ascent, he saw Faithful ahead of him and called for him to wait up. But he, that is faithful, kept going. So Christian ran and passed on ahead of him, vaingloriously smiled, and then stumbled and fell. Then faithful helped him up, and their loving friendship began. That's, that's, you know, we've, we've gone over this rather quickly right here, but there's, there's a lot of interesting things in this little bit. He had been given an indication when he left the Palace Beautiful that someone had passed through ahead of him. Now will come the time when they come together. He sees Faithful ahead and calls to him. I think if we're reading, if we're reading in the book, uh, especially the older editions, he calls out, Soho! So, you know, kind of a hunting cry or something like that. But <clears throat> Faithful, Faithful's heading on. Faithful keeps going. Christian said, I'll catch him. He caught him and ran ahead of him and then smiled. I love the way it said. He smiled vaingloriously and fell. And the first thing that Faithful did was help him to his feet. You see all kinds of stuff in that? All kinds of good stuff. And a loving friendship began. I don't have this in the notes at this point, I don't think, but here it is on the slide. 
However, it would not be a friendship that would last to the celestial city. And why is that? Well, not, not because they had a falling out. You know, sadly, many friendships end that, that way, don't they? For some reason or another, we have a falling out. That, that, that's so sad, and would to God that relationships, friendships, which fall out like that could be mended to the glory of God. But that's not the reason. The reason is when they come to Vanity Fair, a Christian will leave. Faithful will not. Faithful will leave this world. Faithful will leave this world in a way very similar to Elijah leaving this world. But at, at this point, they didn't know that. If I had the time to make it all the way through what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do today, we'd see that when evangelist meets them, he said, you guys have done well so far. But you're not out of Satan's gunshot yet. You know, you're, you're not out of range. And he gives an indication of what will happen. So, faithful. They are now together, and they walk on together and faithful you look at the second arrowhead here faithful talked of things in the valley of destruction after Christian after Christian left then after pliable returned so he talked of things faithful lived in the in the city of destruction also he lived there for a time after Christian had left after Christian fled away with his fingers in his ears crying, life, life, eternal life. Faithful hadn't left yet. And Faithful said some interesting things about Pliable. Uh, Pliable, who for a brief period was ready to go with Christian and saw all the glorious rewards that were going to come from getting to the celestial city, but then was convinced of other things and turned around when he convinced of hardships. But one individual as Faithful shares his experiences along the way, one individual that he mentioned, and you'll notice in this next arrowhead here, it says, he escaped the slough that Christian had fallen into and got to the gate without that danger. Very interesting. You guys, we're all pilgrims, but none of our pilgrimages are carbon copies of the others. They're not. We have different things that we go through. We have different trials that we face. We have different failures that are in our lives and all that. And faithful didn't have any trouble with this slough. Well, the next individual that faithful makes mention of is an individual that Bunyan names Wanton. Wanton. Um, and notice in your notes here, she tested him sorely with her flattering tongue and promised him all manner of carnal and fleshly content. How she could make him content. Although he resisted her flattering promises, he nevertheless said, and I, I don't know, I guess we could dismiss all the women from the room right now and say, you know, <clears throat> guys... Look at this. Although Faithful resisted her flattery and promises, he nevertheless said, 
I know not whether I did wholly escape her or no. I don't know about you all, but that makes me sweat when I read it. Um, I brought with me a couple couple books today, of course, that I've been carrying along these weeks. One of them is <clears throat> Bunyan Characters in the Pilgrim Progress, and this is by Alexander White. What an excellent book. I think this was given to me. I don't remember how it was given to me. Maybe I purchased it. <clears throat> this book, Pictures from Pilgrim's Progress by C.H. Spurgeon. I don't know whether I've read anything from this in earlier weeks. I may have. But he has a chapter in here, actually two chapters, chapters 12 and 13. He entitles, <clears throat> What Faithful Met With in the Way. And as he begins to write this chapter, he has a section on wanton. Let me read you Spurgeon's own words here. Observe that... <clears throat> Although faithful did not yield to wanton tempting, he says, I know not whether I did wholly escape her or no. The probability is that the temptation of the flesh, even when resisted, do us an injury. If the coals do not burn us, they blacken us. The very thought of evil, and especially of such evil, is sin. We can hardly read a newspaper report of anything of this kind without having our minds in some degree defiled. There are certain flowers which perfume the air as they bloom, and I may say that these matters, that they scatter an ill savor as they are repeated in our ears. So much for wanton's assault on faithful, from her net and her ditch, may every pilgrim be preserved. He begins that chapter, Spurgeon begins that chapter, in this way. The first of Faithful's temptations was very gross. It is, indeed, almost a shame to speak of it. Yet the purest and most heavenly-minded, being still in the body, have to confess that this temptation has crossed their path. It matters not how near we live to God, nor how we may have cleansed our way by taking heed thereunto to God's word, to us all, I have sometimes thought, especially to the young and to the aged, this temptation will surely come. It is a blessing if, by God's grace, we use Joseph's way of conquering it, namely by running away from it, for there is no other. Fly, for this foe is not to be parleyed with. While you tarry, you are taken prisoner. While you look, the fruit is plucked. While you think how to resist the attack of the serpent, you are caught in its folds. He that hesitates is lost. Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in the plain. Is the only direction to every man that would come out of Sodom. There is no way of escape from this sin, but save by flight. Plead youthful lusts. Paul wrote to Timothy. And we, we can read this through. Uh, rather rather quickly here, but this is very significant. Before we're finished, and this will be in the second book of Pilgrim's Progress, Christiana's Journey, there's going to be another character like Wanton that is dealt with in the way. 
Faithful continues to talk, and he talks about a character named Adam the first. At the foot of the hill difficulty, he, that is faithful, met a man, a very aged man named Adam the first, who lived in the town of deceit. He had three daughters. Well, lo and behold, here come the three daughters. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He said that Faithful should marry them all. At first, Faithful was inclined to go with him until he saw written on his forehead, that is on the forehead of Adam I, the words, put off the old man with his deeds. Adam I is a personification of our sin nature, which is ours because of Adam's original sin. How are we doing time-wise? I think pretty good here. So I'm going to read you a little bit from Maureen Bradley at this point. Um, pages 49 and 50. <clears throat> Next faithful encounters how at the foot of the hill called difficulty he met Adam the first, personification of our sin nature. Adam the first asked faithful to go home with him and promised him wages. And what were the wages promised? A sure inheritance. For the wages of sin is death. And we will inherit if we abide with him, what the old Adam left us, we are the heirs of wrath. The work promised faithful would be many delights. Yes, for the carnal man there is pleasure in sin, but there is no contentment, and there are often undesirable consequences. Old Adam has three daughters. Unfortunately, we know them all intimately, and here's what Spurgeon writes with respect to them. Maureen Bradley quotes Spurgeon. The lust of the flesh we have already spoken of under the head of wantonness. Then there is the lust of the eyes. The eye can scarcely look upon a thing of beauty without desiring it. We soon become covetous unless the Spirit of God keeps our mind under proper restraint. Thou shalt not covet is a commandment which is often broken by us almost unconsciously. Consequently, we do not repent as we should of our sin against that commandment which touches our thoughts and our desires. As to the pride of life, I am afraid that many Christians trickle to this third daughter of the first Adam by self-indulgence and dress and expenses and all sorts of showiness. Mark you, this pride of life, though the most respectable of the three, as people think, is as genuine a daughter of the old Adam as the lust of the flesh. I cannot imagine our Lord Jesus dressing himself so as to attract attention. This daughter of the old Adam is as much set by in these days. She keeps the milliner's shops going. She sends many a man into the, into the bankruptcy court. And alas, she is invited into many of our Christian circles and thought right well of. Wow. <clears throat> Adam the first. <clears throat> the, the arbor, at the arbor, faithful was overtaken 
by one who mercilessly knocked him down three times and was about to do him in. Who is it? The name Moses is used. Now, is Moses one of the villains in the Old Testament? Of course not. He's one of the heroes of the Old Testament. But what's Bunyan getting at here? The law. Faithful was about to be done in by the law, but one came by and bid him to forbear. Who was this one? Well, at first, he says that it was just a hand, and he noticed in the hand the scar. You'll notice under the the bullet, and I don't know what it is, which bullet it is. After leaving Adam the first, he made his way up the hill to the arbor and was there overtaken by one named Moses who mercilessly knocked him down three times, was about to do him in, but came one came by and bid him forbear. He did not know who it was, but as he passed by, he saw the holes in his hands and his side and concluded it was the Lord. It was the Lord who kept him from being done in by the law. And remember, we I passed out a whole sheet one earlier on in our study on the law. And, and the law has valuable things for us. But the law can kill us. The law alone. Oh, who is this? Who is this? Faithful did not stop at the palace beautiful because it was about noon. As he descended into the Valley of Humiliation, he met one named Discontent, who urged him to turn back and obey his friends named Pride, Arrogancy, Self-Conceit, and Worldly Glory. Quite an array. Faithful chose rather to continue on to the honor that was so... Excuse me, I didn't. Faithful chose rather to continue on to the honor that was so accounted by the wisest. He met, he next met with a man named Shame. A man named Shame who told him, listen carefully, that a tender conscience is an unmanly thing and tried to make him ashamed of that which is good. Faithful was caused to blush by shame and was haunted by the continual whisperings in his ear. But he shook him off. So this morning, as I was going over these things and sitting in my chair, in Alexander White's book, he has a chapter entitled Shame. Shame. Shame has not got the attention that it deserves either from our moral philosophers or from our practical and experimental divines. And yet it would well repay both classes of students to attend far more to shame. For what really is shame? Shame is, is an original instinct planted in our souls by our maker and intended by him to act as a powerful and pungent check to our doing of any act that is mean or dishonorable in the eyes of our fellow men. Shame is a kind of social conscience. 
I'll skip to just a couple other things. It was in the Valley of Humiliation that shame set upon faithful. And the finer and the more affectionate any man's heart and character are, the more he feels and shrinks from the course of treatment this world gives to those whom it has whom it has its own reasons to hate and assail. Did not shame say the simple truth when he warned faithful that religion had always and from the beginning made its followers the ridicule of their times? If you are really going to be a religious man, shame went on, you will have to carry about with you a very tender conscience and a more unmanly and miserable thing than a tender conscience I cannot conceive. A tender conscience would all your life long expose you to the mockery and the contempt of all the brave spirits of the time. James said to Faithful, the tenderness of the young statesman's conscience. Oh, there's an illustration which I wish I had time to read. I do not have time to read it. Let me just skip to the end of the chapter here. Alexander White. Alexander White says, And what did you say to all this, my brother? Say? I could not tell what to say at the first. Alexander White is recognizing this. What did you think when you read about shame? He says, I felt my blood coming up into my face at some of the things that shame said and threatened. But at last, I began to consider that that which is highly esteemed among men is often had in abomination with God. And I said to myself again, shame tells me what men do and what men think, but he has told me nothing about what he thinks, capital H, what he thinks, with whom I shall soon have alone to do. Therefore thought I, what God thinks and says is wisest and best, that all the men of the world say what they will, let all false shame then depart from my heart, or how else shall I look upon my Lord, and how shall he look upon me at his coming? Last sentence here. He had sunshine the rest of the way through the two valleys. Uh, last week at the end of class, uh, Vicky came up to me uh, Vicki Krivax, who's with us each week. And Vicki said, I'm going to be gone next week, but I want to share with you some verses that I fall back on, she said, in times like Christian experiences in going through the dark valleys. Let me just read you the passages. And Vicki read them to me on the spot, right up here by the podium. And I told her, Vicki, I'm going to read them next week to the class. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Verses 20 through 22. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. She loved especially verse 22. She also made mention of Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139, which I think is probably a favorite, one of your favorites among the many favorites that you have in the book of Psalms. Verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. And to that, I would add, and I think this will be the last thing for today, from Psalm 18, from Psalm 18, verse 20, very similar to what I just read in Psalm 139. Psalm 18 and verse 20. (laughs) And verse 28, excuse me. For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God, lightens my darkness. This was a really dark part of the journey for Christian. But he used the weapon of all prayer and we have great promises in Scripture that God will be with us in the times of darkness. Well, we're going to look next time at talkative. You knew I couldn't deal with talkative for about three minutes. No, no way. Talkative is going to be a most interesting individual. He even has faithful fools for a while. And then we'll look at the evangelist suddenly appears on the scene again, and that will set the stage perfectly for Vanity Fair when they come to Vanity Fair. And then in two weeks, God willing, I will see you with that. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for all of your goodness to us. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the truths of your word which we cling to, Lord, and which we live our lives by. Thank you, Lord, for the resource of prayer. You know, Father, I pray that you would help us on our journey. It's not an easy journey. Lord, help us. We thank you for your promise that you will bring us safely to the celestial city. Bless these dear friends of mine. In Jesus' name, amen.